This is the main daf that talks about ayin tachat ayin. How do we know that it doesn't mean literally that one should take out the perpetrator's eye? We already saw previously a b'raita that brought two proofs, and now we're going to bring about eight more arguments that ayin tachat ayin is not literal, but rather means that one pays a monetary amount for the damage. Here's the first one. Tanya, Rabbi Dostai ben Yehuda Omer, Ayin Tachat Ayin Mamon. Ataomer Mamon o Eno Ela Ayin Mamash. So Rabbi Dostai taught in the Braita, Ayin Tachat Ayin means that you pay money for the eye, for any kind of damage. Uh, one does not take, make corporeal punishment, but it means you pay money. How do you know that? Maybe it means actually you would take out his eye literally. Because it would not work practically. Let's say the eye of the uh, victim is, uh, is big and the eye of the perpetrator is small. So then if you take out his, this, this, that eye that's smaller than the big one. In uh, our terms, you might say, let's say the victim had perfect 20-20 vision. And the perpetrator had bad vision, had glaucoma, had astigmatism. And so taking out his eye would not be equal to the um, damage that was done to the victim. And therefore, it's not possible in many cases to um, give the exact punishment because eyes are of different sizes, qualities. And if you say, well, if indeed it is that that is true, um, that they are of unequal size or unequal uh, power, then the um, uh, then indeed you would pay. But otherwise, you do eye for an eye. In other words, we'll check the prescriptions and check the uh, size and health of each of the eyes of the of the victim and the perpetrator and if they're exactly equal then you take out an eye for an eye literally and if not then you pay you pay money right so then that way um, at least in some cases it will mean literal no that can't be because the Torah it's actually in that very context says right here it is ayin tachat ayin and so on um, and then at the end of that paragraph, there'll be one law for all. In the literal context, it means one law for uh, immigrants and citizens alike. Uh, but we, uh, the Gemara takes that to mean as well that there's one law in all cases. And you can't have some cases you take out the eye literally, and other cases you pay money. And therefore, it has to, must be that all cases you pay money. But then we uh, reject this answer and we say, wait, what's the problem? Uh, why don't we just say that uh, if you took out someone's sight, then you get your sight taken out. And we just generalize it. Who says it has to be the exact same size of an eye, the exact same prescription? Um, that we find in other cases in the Torah where you have a corporeal punishment, and yet we don't look distinguish between the exact details. For example, regarding capital punishment, let's say a small person, katan usually means a minor, but here it can't be a minor because a minor doesn't get capital punishment. But we mean here a, a small person who kills a large person. Uh, or a large person who kills a small person. How can we give capital punishment, right? Is it, it's not the same. Or you could say it in other words, maybe a 20-year-old who kills a 90-year-old. Um, so should you kill the 20-year-old? This one has a long time to live. This one has a less time to live. So capital punishment is not equal. And people are of different sizes and different ages and different strengths. And so uh, you would give the same argument that it wouldn't be fair. It's not equal to give a life for a life. Yet, and nevertheless, we do give capital punishment and we give it across the board because we say a life for a life and we don't judge how big someone is, how much life they have. And the same thing, right, would be for an eye. So even though the Torah says there's one law for for everyone, nevertheless, we treat a life, a soul. You took someone's soul, we take your soul, we take your life. And we could apply the same thing here. You took someone's vision, 
then that your vision will be taken from you and we don't have to uh, d uh, um, uh, think about the different uh, uh, types of eyes, uh, big eyes and small eyes. And therefore, Rabbi Dostai's proof is uh, rejected um, because, in fact, Rabbi uh, Dostai said, well, eyes are not equal. We answer, so what if they're not equal? If you take, if you take someone's vision, that's good enough, and that could still be one law across the board. So there's no problem in, in putting this into practice, and therefore, uh, we still don't have a source for ayin tachat ayin that has to be mamon. We, had, we saw two sources yesterday, but this, uh, this source is rejected. Tanya idach, another b'raita, here's a second proof for today. The Bishimon ben Yochai Omer, ayin tachat ayin mamon, atamir mamon, no ela ayin mamash, this follows the typical style of Midrash Halacha that it presents the conclusion, ayin tachat ayin means money, and then we ask about that conclusion. Does it mean money? Or maybe it actually means, literally, you take out this eye. So he proves it from an example of a blind person that blinded someone else, or someone who had a severed limb who cuts off someone else's arm, or someone who himself had a limp, uh, and he makes he causes someone else to have a limp. So how could we fulfill ayin tachat ayin? If someone's already blind and he takes out someone's eye, we cannot possibly take out his eye, or his eyes are already gone. And yet the Torah says it has to be one law for everyone. Since we cannot apply the law to a blind perpetrator, therefore we cannot apply it at all. But money, everyone can pay money. So that's the second proof, but we reject this too. What kind of what, what what's the what, what question what's your question now that you're placing your proof on? Maybe when it's possible to take out someone's eye, meaning uh, uh, someone who has vision is the perpetrator, then we do take out his eye. Uh, only when someone has their limbs and cuts off someone else's limb then we do it physically. So when we can, we do. And when we can't, then we, uh, he does not get any punishment at all. We could take it literally, and no one ever pays. You only apply the corporeal punishment when possible, otherwise you don't. We have other examples like this from capital punishment, where um, someone who's a terefa, that's a, a human being who is not well and will not, he's going to die within 12 months. We have a concept of terefa for animals. Um, it would not, it's not, would not be kosher. And also for human beings, um, if a, a person has a terminal illness, then it's still not permitted to kill them. But if someone would kill them, they would, the, the murderer would not get capital punishment because it says, or it's already as if, um, uh, in some sense, they are dead. And so too, if the murderer is himself a terefa, you cannot give the murderer capital a capital punishment because you can't give capital punishment to someone who is, in, in, that, in this legal sense, already dead because he's going to die. Um, so therefore, we see that you do apply capital punishment to regular healthy people, even though there are exceptions when it's not possible to apply capital punishment, but that's okay. Just because there are exceptions when we can't apply, cannot apply the rule doesn't mean we never apply the rule of corporeal punishment. So if we can apply that in cases of murder and capital punishment, so too we can say that if someone is blind and he blinds someone else, okay, so he, we can't take out his eye because he has no eyes, but other people, maybe we could. Rather, it makes sense that when we can apply the corporal punishment, we do. When we don't, we, when we cannot, then we don't, and he gets no punishment. And the consequence of this would be that if a, a blind person could go and, and take out people's eyes, and we couldn't punish him. Okay, but since it is possible to make such a distinction, so there is no proof from here. So we try um, another possibility. So he learns it from the pasuk that um, whatever he did, so you do to him. And the word and 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 this word natan means to give. What what can you give? Right? You can't. You don't give someone your your eye if you're gonna if you take out the uh, perpetrator's eye. He's not giving it. He's, it's being taken away. Uh, but giving, we use that word means giving money. So, has to mean money. Okay, we ask, uh, we challenge, that, that's his proof. We challenge that because earlier um, in that pasuk, it says, 
let's look at the pasuk here. Um, it's in the pasuk before. Ishki ten mum ba amito kasher asa ken ye lo. So the challenge is, it says the word yiten, but here the word natan obviously is not referring to money, but referring to an actual um, uh, an injury. Someone gives an injury to someone else. So you see, the word yiten can refer to injury. Therefore, and the, and and it already says here that it will be done to him. And then it says, And then it says, This was where the proof was from originally from Pasuk 20. It will be given to him. Um, and we said, this is money, but it doesn't have to be money because up here it is not uh, about money. So how are you going to answer that? So we explain that to be Ishmael, the Braita from his school, is actually not, the derivation is not from the word Natan. You're right, the word Natan can mean to give an injury also, uh, as well to give money. But rather it's from the extra Pasuk. The Pasuk 19 already said, um, if someone caused injury to his friend, whatever he did is done to him. So we already have see here the principle of reciprocal punishment. The next pasuk says, so too it shall be given to him. This is an extra pasuk. Why do we need it? So the extra pasuk comes to teach mamon. That's what he meant that yinaten means mamon. But we challenge this. Uh, wait, why do we need this whole phrase? Uh, that entire phrase we already said. And the answer is, Yeah, you're right, that entire phrase is also extra, but since it wanted to add the phrase to teach monetary uh, um, payment, so it adds an introduction. In other words, this, this entire phrase, um, is entirely extra. Um, but you can't just said it has to give an introduction to that. So the, well, the whole phrase "kashetin mumbadam" is, in fact, only here in order to say "ken ye naten bo." But uh, this whole thing is extra, and the whole thing is extra to teach that we do not give corporal punishment, but rather one has to pay. So this is a successful proof. Okay, you're right. We go on and and try to look for more. Uh, so since the one of the things that says in the pasuk is one pays a, one gives a hand for a hand. Um, so a hand means someone something given from hand to, to hand. What what do you pass someone from your hand to that other person's hand? Money. So yad be yad. This is from pasuk in Devarim. Doesn't say the word tachat here. Um, but rather a slightly different formulation. So, therefore, this must mean money. Yeah, but the next phrase in that, in that very same pasuk is um, foot for a foot. So, what does that mean? Do you pass, what, what do you pass with your feet? Do you pass money with your feet? Other things? So, that doesn't make sense. So, if you say yad biyad means money, then that cannot apply to regel beragel. And therefore, we uh, reject that, um, this, exp- this explanation. But let's try to explain it better. Um, this pasuk is said in the context of edim zomemin, and the derivation is not from the fact that yad le yad means something that has to be passed, but rather from the extra words. Since the pasuk already said a general principle. Whatever he did, that's what is done to him, right? And Ed Zomem, if he's found to be a conspiring witness that he was not even there and could not have, um, have, have, have witnessed it. So whatever he tried to make the, uh, uh, uh victim, uh, do, the defendant do, that the witness has to, has to give the same punishment, pay the same amount, get capital punishment, get lashes, whatever it is. So if mamash, and if you would think that means literally, if he was going to cause someone to get corporeal punishment, so he's, he's given corporeal punishment, yad biyad lamali, why do I need the extra phrase? Just leave it at that. So that will be done to him. Yad biyad is an extra phrase. So why, does, why is it added? That means money. Okay, so that's a good answer. But So why do I need the extra uh, phrase foot for foot? 
Oh, since it already mentioned hand-to-hand, -hand, we needed the hand-to-hand -to, -hand to teach us that you pay money. So then it went on and gave other examples too. Um, so not, this is both in, both in this and the previous examples, very interesting. Um, we say the Torah does not have any extra words. And since there are extra, an extra phrase here, so we learn, and that's Mamon from the extra phrase. Even though we admit that there are extra phrases attached to the necessary phrase, that are there for stylistic purposes. So Torah does have um, uh, phrases that are added for stylistic purposes um, if that, that phrase is needed for the phrase that we actually do need to teach a halacha. Um, so you have to, uh, important to distinguish um, but between the two. Okay, good. So um, that is a successful answer also. All right, good. So we have two successful answers already, and we go on with more. Abaye Omer. Uh, so be explains um, uh, that we derive it from a, a baraita from the school of Hezkiyah, who said that you have to give an eye for an eye, if it, uh, or a, uh, a capital punishment in the case of a murderer, then you give the, the murderer also capital punishment. Um, but you, it doesn't, you should, it would not be fair to, um, for someone to have to pay with his life and his eye if he only took out an eye. And if you think that giving an eye is literal, then you're going to have times where, let's say this perpetrator, he took out someone's eye. So now we're going to, the Betin is going to bring him, put him on the, on the surgery table and take out the perpetrator's eye. But there are cases where there will be complications in that surgery and he will die. All right. They didn't have very good, uh, surgical, uh, conditions. And so he might get, he might get a cut, he might get an infection and die. And then, in the, uh, while the court is trying to blind him, his, uh, he, his soul may depart, and that will not be fair. So because this, uh, there's a somewhat of a likelihood that a person will lose his life by the court taking out his eye, we just, we just physically don't have the possibility of giving corporeal punishment in a controlled way. So that's the proof. We challenge you. My kushya. This is what's the problem here. Um, you can apply this uh, practically without a problem. We'll, uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll make a, an a evaluation, a medical evaluation. If this person, the uh, perpetrator, can he withstand this punishment of taking out his eye or not? And if we, if we um, estimate, uh, we bring expert doctors and says, yeah, he's healthy and yeah, you can do the surgery and take out his eye and he'll be okay. And if it ends up being wrong, there's, uh, there's always complications in surgery and uh, something goes wrong and he dies. Okay, so that's out of our hands. After all, regarding lashes, which is a corporeal punishment that everybody agrees is a real corporeal punishment that the, that the court actually gives, they're also, you bring the doctors and they evaluate him. How many lashes can this guy take? He can take uh, 25 lashes, the doctors say. All right, now if you end up, the court gives him 25 lashes and he dies, well, okay, what can you do? Um, the, the one administering the lashes is exempt because he's following the procedure. So it's true, sometimes things are going to go wrong, but it doesn't, that's, that doesn't prevent us from applying lashes, and so therefore, it should not prevent us from giving corporeal punishment. We'll follow the estimation of doctors. They're, hopefully, they're usually right, and just because once in a while something can go wrong doesn't mean that you never give punishment at all. So that answer is rejected. Rav Zavid Mishmed Rabba Amad, Amar Kira Pesa Tachat Pasa, Liten Sa'ar Bimkom Nezek, Interesting proof. The Rav Zavid says, from, we learn from the Pasuk, wound for a wound, that we learn from that Pasuk that one has to pay for pain um, even in a case where there is damage. In other words, if one human being causes damage to another, he has to pay for the damage, the lost limb, the lost eye, and he also has to pay for pain. Now, um, if you think that it means you literally take out the person, the, vic the, the perpetrator's eye, well then just like the victim felt pain, so to the perpetrator will feel, will feel the same amount of pain when you take it, take out his eye. 
and therefore he should not have to pay more uh, to the victim for the pain because there, he's experiencing the same pain. In other words, um, if it's a literally an eye for an eye, then that's all there should be um, because taking out the victim's, uh, the perpetrator's eye, he loses his eye and he feels the, the same pain that he inflicted. So he shouldn't have to feel that pain and also pay. So from the fact that we learned from this pasuk that the perpetrator pays for pain means that he only pays for pain but doesn't have to feel the pain himself. And therefore, we don't, we, that, that's the proof that we don't physically take out his eye. But we reject this proof. No, this is not a this is not a a, a a proof because sometimes there are people who are very delicate and they feel pain a lot. Even a a little a paper cut, they're screaming. And other people are very brave and they're not delicate and they can withstand a lot of pain. And so what would be, why, why does that make a difference? Well, if there's a difference in the pain tolerance of the two people, then he would have to pay the difference. So let's say the victim who got his eye out, he is, uh, he's very sensitive and for him that pain, well, he, that was worth a million dollars for, for him. But the perpetrator is a tough guy and that pain of taking out his eye is only uh, half a million dollars. So the difference would be half year would have to pay because since the perpetrator only felt, since he is a tough guy, he only fail, feels a half a million dollars of pain, he would have to pay the remaining balance of half a million to the victim who feels pain more. And so it could be that it's literal and you would still, there be, there would still be cases where you have to make up the difference with money for the, um, for the pain that's felt. Okay, so that, uh, that uh, proof is rejected. Rapapa, Mishmed Rabba Amar, Rapapa has a similar proof. Amar Kera, Verapo, Yerapet, Litendo Fabem, Komnezek, Visatatak Mamash, Keche de Hai, Baay Asia, Hai Name, Baay Asia. So that we learn from the Pasuk, Verapo, Yerapet, someone damages someone else, he has to pay for medical expenses. That you have to pay medical expenses even when there is um, a, a, a damage. Points of even though there's damage is that even though you're paying damage, you're paying for the loss of this person's limb or his eye, you, in addition, you have to also pay for the medical expenses. Okay, good. Now that we learned it from that pasuk, now if you think that you're taking out the perpetrator's eye literally, now the perpetrator also is going to have medical bills that are going to be associated with the injury that the court is going to impose on the perpetrator. So since he has to pay that, those medical bills, that should already be equivalent to the medical bills paid by the perpetrator, so the, the pay, paid by the victim. So the perpetrator shouldn't have to pay his own medical bills and the victim's medical bills. So if you take it literally, then he shouldn't have to pay. So therefore, from the fact that he, that the perpetrator has to pay for the victim's medical bills means that the perpetrator is not acquire, incurring his own medical bills because we are not literally taking out his eye. That's the proof, but we reject it. And here too, we answer similarly to the previous one, that not all people's bodies are the same. There's some people whose flesh heals quickly and others that whose flesh does not heal quickly. So why does that make a difference? Uh, that the perpetrator will have to pay the difference in medical bills. Um, if the victim had um, uh, because his eye was taken out so and he had a lot of complications because of that it took a long time to heal there was uh, infections he had to be in the hospital for a month so there's a million dollars of medical bills the perpetrator he went to court and the court took out his eye but there were no after effects he only it was a in and out procedure so his medical bills were were only a hundred thousand in that case, the perpetrator, even though he gets corporeal punishment, would have to pay the remaining $900,000 of difference to the victim. So yes, it can be that we take it literally and there also would be a payment for medical bills. So that, um, uh, uh, that uh, is, a proof is rejected. Ravashe says, I'm gonna word, I'm gonna use a, a gezerah shava, um, from the word tachat. I mean, it's really actually quite a straightforward gezerah shava. It's just the definition of the word 
that's in the same uh, chapter. Um, it says, ayin tahat ayin, so I for an eye, but what does that mean? You know, uh, in compensation of, um, as, as, uh, as replacement of. So we have the word tahat here. We also have the, the same pasuk later on in the pedic that says, says, says explicitly, one should pay shor tahat shor. If my ox damages your ox or kills your ox, I have to pay an ox for an ox. But it says shalem, which means a monetary payment. I don't, if I kill your, if my ox kills your ox, I don't physically have to pay an ox, or if I kill your ox, I don't physically have to take an ox and replace the physical thing. I can pay the value of it. A thousand dollars? How much was yours worth? A thousand dollars? I pay you money. So even though here it's clearly referring to a monetary payment, yet it still uses the word tachat. So just like regarding uh, damage to an animal, the word tachat means monetary payment. So too, uh, when a human harms another human being, and it says also the word tachat ayin, tachat ayin, the word tachat means mamon. That's just the definition of the word. You pay a value of an eye for an eye, just like you pay a value of an ox for an ox. Very nice proof. But we challenge. Hold on, in the very same pedic, uh, says uh, you you can learn instead of learning from from an animal uh, damage. Um, uh, uh, Why do you learn from damage to an animal? Learn the word tachat as applies as applied to a human uh, to a human being, where it says if one person murders someone else, then you have to give nefesh. You have to give a life for a life, and here it means literally a life. Right? Everybody agrees that there is corporeal punishment, capital punishment for uh, murder. And therefore, just like in this case, tahat means literal, literal, literal is literal corporeal punishment. So to ayin tahat ayin. So now you see the word tahat can mean both things. So we the, the sages answer. We're going to compare things that are more similar. We should compare damages to damages. Damage to a uh, to an ox. So it means monetary payment. Therefore, also damages to a person, like taking out his eye or limb, would be monetary. And we're not going to compare it to murder. That's a different category altogether. But then we would challenge that. We agreed that we should put categories together. But you know, it's the more important category. Human beings are a category different from animals. So when it comes to human beings, there we saw nefesh, tachat nefesh means literal. Therefore, um, that's for murder. Um, so therefore, uh, uh, injuries to human beings also, the word tachat should mean literal, take out his eye. Whereas uh, for animals, animals are a different story. When animals, whether you cause injury to a, someone's ox or kill someone's ox, you always pay. And so it makes more sense to separate the categories that way. Um, and therefore, there is no proof. Um, but we save it at the last moment. Oh, we have a case of um, of a, uh, a man who rapes or seduces a woman, and the rapist has to pay 50 shekel um, to the family. And it says, Tachat, because he um, afflicted her. And this is the word Tachat, even though it's clearly talking about payment. And here it's talking about um, injury to a human being. So I agree. Fine. You want human? You only want to compare human to human. If I, I have a pasuk in Devarim that talks about damage to a human being, and clearly here it talks about it's uh, in reference uh, to monetary payment. Um, and so I'm going to compare the ayin tachat ayin, which is uh, uh, payment to a human being for injury, from another case of payment to a human being for injury. And so now I have both categories, both that is another human being and also that is injury. And therefore, um, uh, we can see that the word tachat means, in fact, monetary payment, and this is a successful proof at the end. So we had about uh, three successful proofs out of these uh, this list of eight. But you see how hard the rabbis had to work in order to uh, prove that ayin tachat ayin is not literal. After all that work, we have a big surprise. Tanya, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, ayin tachat ayin mamash. This is Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol. He's the sage who was excommunicated for um, uh, going against the majority in the Avon Avachnai story. 
And he says a very bold statement, ayin tachat ayin means literal. You take out the person's eye. This is quite astounding that we have such a, uh, an opinion here, especially because the Rambam, when he talks about, uh, he says anything that there is a machloket about, is means it was a de- law that was developed by the sages that was uh, derived from Pesukim. But if it's halacha Moshe misinai, then it goes, then there's no, never was machloket about it. And he brings as an example of halacha Moshe misinai, about which there was no machloket, he brings this example of ayin tachat ayin. And yet here we look at the Gemara and we see that there actually is a machloket about this. There is one opinion that says mamash. That's an important question about the Rambam. But um, here, this could be the answer because the Gemara cannot believe that Rabbi Eliezer would say that. Wait, Rabbi really mean? Does he mean when he says mamash? Does that mean literally mamash? Where we really take out his eye? Does he not agree with all the other Tanaim? Look how many opinions we had said before. Even though we didn't accept all the uh, all the proofs, that's because we had a fi- we found a way to um, to challenge the proofs. But all those Tanaim who uh, um, agreed that ayin tachat ayin means a monetary payment. Rabbi Eliezer went against everyone. Rabbi says, no, Rabbi Eliezer did not mean literally that we take out his eye. When he said the word mamash, it means that we don't estimate the value as a slave. When you take, um, uh, generally, how do you estimate uh, uh, damages? You say, how much is a person worth on the slave market with an eye versus without an eye, and you, subst- and you subtract the difference. But that is a relatively small amount. So when he says mamash, he means we are going to esti- evaluate not as a slave, but as a free person. So Abayet challenges Rabbah. So, well, if you're not going to evaluate him as a, on the, as a slave on the slave market, then what? A free person? But a free person doesn't have a value. There's, there's, with, there's only a, there's a slave market for slaves. But you take a free person and say, how much is this person worth? What, a million, 10 million, 100 million dollars? There is no value for a free person. There's no, there's no valuation. So there's no way to decide how much a person is worth with his eye or without his eye. So uh, the only way to decide is based on his value as a slave. Rather, Ravashe explains what Rabbah must have meant, that we do not make an evaluation of the, of the victim, but rather of the perpetrator, right? We thought before that you'd look at the victim and say, how much is the victim worth with an eye and without an eye? And then the perpetrator has to pay the difference. Not so. When it says, ayin tachat ayin, mamash, what, what it be as it means is that since the perpetrator, he, his punishment should be, you know, theoretically, uh, that he would lose his eye. Now, we don't actually take out his eye, but when we decide the value of how much he should pay, it's not the value of the damage that he did to the victim, but rather the what his eye would be worth. So we evaluate the mazik, the perpetrator, how much he is worth with his eye, which he currently has, how much he would be worth if we had taken out his eye and he has to pay that amount. And so that's what Rabbi Eliezer means when he says mamash. But you see the Gemara, the, the Amoraim, um, uh, after Rabbi Eliezer, um, cannot believe that Rabbi Eliezer would mean that we would literally take out his eye. And therefore, um, this could be why Harambam lists this as something about which there was no machloket, because even though Rabbi Eliezer takes, says mamash, and without the rest of the discussion, sounds like it does mean literal, literally, but the um, uh, ex- explanation of the Talmud is even is that even Rabbi Eliezer just means mamash in the sense that uh, he theoretically should get his eye taken out, um, and therefore the, he pays the damage as a kind of kofid. We said before uh, there's no ransom, there's no ransom for a murderer, but there is ransom for um, a person, for someone who causes injury. So this would be a similarly a kind of ransom, right? He really does deserve, in a moral sense, that he should get the exact same punishment, but in practice, he pays for the value of his, the perpetrator's eye. We next have a story about an injury. A donkey severed the hand of a child. Poor kid. The case came before the papa to adjudicate. And papa said, you have to go and evaluate the four different payments 
to give to the child or to the father of the child uh, to pay for his pain and medical expenses and shame and loss of work if he was working. Lava objected. What do you mean only four items? We have to pay five items. What about the damages? Right, the value of the of his arm. Says, yeah, that's what I meant. I meant, of course, the uh, the damages, and you also also have to pay the four others. All right, now that we've clarified that, all five, then Abaye challenges from the other direction. But this damage was done by a donkey. And donkey, if, uh, that causes damage, the owner only pays damages. Um, right, you only pay for all the other four things when it comes to a human who damages another human being. But if a human dam- damages an animal, or an animal damages a human, or an animal damages an animal, then you only pay nezik, only the damage, only the value of the injury, and not the other four things. So, yeah, you're right too. <laughs> what I meant is only pay that one, uh, only nezik. So he went from saying pay four, leaving out nezik, to saying, oh yeah, what I really meant is only nezik. Okay. Now it says, go evaluate him. What do you mean, evaluate him? The free people don't have an evaluation. Don't we evaluate a person as they would be um, uh, evaluated as a slave? He says, yes, that's what I meant. Go and appraise him as a slave. Good. The father of the child, who now would stand to receive payment for this injury that was done to his kid said, I do not want my son to have to go stand in evaluation as a slave. It's embarrassing. It's demeaning to have to come and say, he's going to have experts come and say, well, what do you think? How much is this kid worth? He's kind of weak. He's kind of strong. He's kind of short, right? And he has to sit and listen to all that. It's bad enough. His arm got uh, 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 taken off by a donkey, and now he has to go through this demeaning process. He says, forget it. Uh, I'd rather not get paid. Says, hold on, but you, the, this, the, the child has money coming to him, and now he's not going to get paid. And the father said, when he gets older, I will pay him the value myself for my own money. I'd rather have that, incur that loss, and all, whatever the money amount is, I'll decide how much it is, and I'll give it to the kid uh, to pay for you know all, the, all his his, uh, his loss and not him not have to be so demeaned, which is this really interesting story because it kind of shows you the psychological effects of, of being evaluated as a slave and, you know, that what that entails. Another story, another ox that chewed off the hand of a child, case came before the Ravana says, go and evaluate the child as a slave, how much he is worth, he would, would was worth, when he had a healthy hand, and now that he has a bad hand. But they asked Rava, Rava, you're the one that taught that any any um, judgment that requires an evaluation as a slave, we do not do that such, such an evaluation, do not collect it in Bavel. The rabbinic judges in Bavel are not authorized to make these appraisals, and therefore they cannot give such judgment. You're right. As a court here in Bavel, we cannot demand that the perpetrator pay that amount, but we can still give the amount, give evaluate and say this is the amount that you should, would be paid, such that if the injured party seizes those assets from the perpetrator, then we let him keep it. So even though we can't make the perpetrator pay because in Bavel they don't, the, rabbi, the judges don't have that authority, uh, but we can still give the um, give a judgment that the victim can take into his own hands. Rava said a similar statement, and so he is uh, consistent with what he said in elsewhere, um, that if you have damages by a an ox to an ox, or damages um, uh, to an ox by a human. So let's, let's go by the first uh, um, uh, phrase, the first word in each phrase. Damages that are done caused um, to an ox. Um, the uh, one the uh, the judges in Bavel can collect that because that's just minus, uh, plain monetary damages, and that those are easy to to uh, evaluate. 
and they can do that. Whereas, uh, damage is done to a human being, either by a human being or by an ox, that the judges in Babel do not collect because that requires, well, we're going to see why. It requires a lot more uh, uh, skill, knowledge to figure out the slave market, how much the person was worth before and after. Um, so the Abba said that we do not make evaluations regarding human damage um, in Babel, and so this is consistent with this case here where it was a human child, and that's why he said um, he agreed that we do not make evaluations. We cannot make the perpetrator pay. And now we ask, what's the difference uh, between uh, human damages and damages to, and uh, 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 what's the difference between uh, case, a case of damages to a person, either by a person or by an ox, that we do not adjudicate that in Babel. Elohim and veleka, is because the pasuk says you have to go to the judge, and the pasuk Elohim refers to the refers to the judge, and we don't have ordained judges. There's no official semicha in Babel. Well, but that's true for damages done to an animal, whether by an animal or by a human. Also, Pasuk says you have to go to the judges, and so we don't have official judges for that either. So that wouldn't make a difference. We're going to go through a long list of possibilities of why Davat makes such a differentiation. Uh, so this one doesn't work. Elohim ba'inan veleka. We also don't have that in Bavel. Ela ma'ishena shor be'shor be'shor be'adam rather the difference is that when there's damage to an ox either by an ox or by a human there we say that the judges in Babel are acting as agents of the judges in Israel uh, just like we um, have such agency regarding admissions and loans in Babel the judges can adjudicate admissions if someone comes and says I admit that I owe or we, well, someone can prove that he owes a money. Then, although in Babel they don't have official semicha and official judges, but the judges in Israel say you can be our agents to collect on such cases. You you look into the case, decide, and you can be agents. So too, damage to an ox, they can adjudicate in Babel as agents. Well, if that's true, then Adam 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 need And why do we say the same thing for damage to a human being? either by a human or by an ox, that the judges in Babel are acting as agents, just like we, they act as agents for admissions and loans. So there no, should be no difference. No, we can only say that they are agents for matters that they are established as such, where the ruling is clear to them in, in Babel, um, but things that are they are not established as experts, they cannot. Um, so this would apply to damages to animals, but not damages to humans. But the answer to that is not true. Even damages to, to animals, the judges in Babel are not experts. We're probably not talking about the Amoraim in Babel. Amoraim in Babel were the greatest sages ever. They knew that they were experts in every law, as you see on every page. But it could be that the judges that were in all the different cities were um, less learned and less expert, and so they're not expert on, on damage, human damages or animal damages. So there's no difference between the, the between them on that count. Rather, an answer is, oh, we can go and see how much a, a, an ox is worth in the market. In other words, uh, evaluating an ox is pretty easy. Right? You look at the size ox, big, small, and see how much is on the market. That's why they can adjudicate animal cases. Well, but then we reject that because human beings also, we think there was no slave market in, uh, in, in, in Babel. Uh, there was, so you can go see, go see how much would this person be worth with an eye, without an eye. Um, and so that would be just as easy to evaluate a human as it would be for an animal. And in addition, now we're going to add yet a second uh, question uh, uh, about, again, we're trying to figure out what the difference, why Dava make, made a distinction between human damages and animal damages. Um, why don't we allow the judges in Babel to adjudicate payment of double, like a, by, by a thief, or four and five, a thief who stole an animal and slaughtered it or sold it. 
um, and they could be agents. And those are pretty easy to calculate because you just multiply by two, or multiply by four or five. So number one here is a basic principle that as agents, uh, the judges in Bavel can only adjudicate monetary matter, monetary restitution, where you're actually paying for uh, damages, um, and not fines. And so the, the double four or four and five are all fines that are imposed by the Torah or uh, by the Torah, and uh, the fines can only be done in Eretz Israel. They are they do not give agency to Babel. So that's for sure the double four and five um, in Babel they cannot do. So now based on that answer that we just said, if it's damages to a human being, that's, that is monetary restitution. It's not a fine. You're actually paying for the damage that was done. So why can't they be agents? So back to our original question. Uh, why can't they be agents and adjudicate uh, damages to a human being, and the answer is that when we, when we made, when the rabbi, when the sages and Eretz Israel said that the the that the uh, judges in Babel can be agents, that's only in com- things that happen in uh, that are the commonplace occurrences, um, because then they'll be more expert, and it happens all the time. And what every time that such a thing happens, you're going to go to Eretz Israel. So if it's a common occurrence, then they are agents. But if it's not a common occurrence, not. And human humans damaging each other is not a common occurrence. Um, I mean, people do get into fights once in a while, but it's really not as common as animals um, being damaged. Animals, that happens all the time. That would be the equivalent of our fender benders that, uh, you know, these happen all the time. People actually punching and harming each other is a lot less common. So that is the answer right now. But we ask about that. But there is a type of human damage that is uh, common, and that's humiliation and degradation after rape or seduction, which um, sadly uh, sounds uh, here like, uh, according to the Talmud, that this was common. So why don't we allow the judges in Babel to adjudicate those cases? And so we answer, oh, indeed, yes, in Babel, Rapapa did adjudicate a case of humiliation um, and made someone pay 400 zoos because that person was uh, humiliated. But we reject it because that case of Rav Papa was actually not a good example. After all, Rav Chista asked Rav Nachman about a similar case and Rav, and, uh, Rav Nachman answers, it's Chista, Chista, do we uh, collect a penalty in Babel and Boshet and Pegam? This is not a monetary restitution for damage that was incurred. This is a mental thing that you want, yes, you have to pay for, um, but this is um, in the category of a fine, and therefore one would not pay uh, monetary, in, um, uh, one would not be able to adjudicate um, humiliation, degradation for a case of rape and seduction, which is a fine because it's a fixed amount um, in Bavel. Now, so therefore, even though those are those things are common, um, and yet they're not done in Bavel. So the final answer is that when we say, say that in Israel they allowed the judges in um, in Bavel to be agents, they only said they can be agents on two conditions: if it's something that is a common occurrence, and also something that involved a monetary loss. In other words, an actual injury to an ox, or which would be common, um, and is an actual monetary loss, or a loan, or an admission where you took my money, and now you have to pay it back, and that also is common, um, and is, involves um, actual monetary loss on behalf of the victim. But something that might, might be uh, common, but is not a monetary loss, that would involve um, uh, shame, where a person feels shame and they deserve punishment, but they didn't incur a monetary loss by feeling shame, so that they cannot do in Bavel, um, even if it's a common occurrence, or something that is not a common occurrence, even if it has a, a, a monetary loss, like injury of a human to a human. That's a monetary loss, but it's not, uh, it's not common, and that, therefore, the rabbis in Bavel are not the 
authorized to be agents. Damage by a human to another human, even though it has monetary loss, is not common, so they cannot be agents. And uh, humiliation, even though it is common, it's not a monetary loss, and therefore also the sages in Babel cannot adjudicate those cases. Okay, so in all this was assuming that an ox uh, that causes damage to an ox, or uh, anyone that causes damage to an ox, that case you could um, uh, collect in Babel, maybe human not, because uh, and humans don't usually uh, gore, uh, go in and harm oxes. But an ox that gores, that, uh, gores another ox, that's common, um, and it's a monetary loss, so those you can, uh, pay in Babel, right? That was our conclusion. Now, there we explained Ravah, and he made a distinction. Here's the problem. Ravah said yet another statement in contradiction to the one that we were discussing this whole time. An ox that causes damage, we do not collect that in Babel. And uh, well, now, uh, an ox that causes damage, the Dazik man, who did the ox cause damage to? Ilema Dazik Adam, Iria Shor, Dazik Adam, Filodam Dazik Adam, Name en Govinoto be Babel. If that's the case of an ox uh, harming a human being, why is, why, then, why mention a case of an ox harming a human being, even a human being that damages another human being, which is more common, is not, is not adjudicated in Babel. So it can't be talking about that case, because obviously, the, uh, that would not be adjudicated. Rather, it's an ox that gores another ox, and Rabbi here said, we do, we do not collect punishment, uh, collect the, that compensation in Babel. That goes against his previous statement where he said that an ox, that goes another ox, that sages in Babel are authorized in such a case. So we answer, Amre hatam, hatam betam, hacha bemoad. When he said that one has to, when, what, before, when he said now that one does not pay, it was talking about a short tam. Because the half payment of a short time is a penalty. Really, a short time shouldn't have to pay anything else, but we don't want this to happen a lot. So the rabbi said, um, it's away from the Torah, um, that you have to pay half amount, but really that's in the category of a penalty because it's, it's only half, so it's not really covering the damages anyway. Um, so that's where we said, uh, Rava said that we do not do that, but for Mu'ad, that's full-on compensation, um, and so that is adjudicated in Bavel. Um, that was that was his first statement. Hold on, you can never have a shemuad in Babel because the Rava also said that the said the judges in Babel are not authorized to declare that a shor is muad, so it can never become muad. The answer to that is We're talking about a shor that that damaged three times in Eretz Israel and was adjudicated in Eretz Israel to be a shor muad, and then was brought over to Babel. And then caused damage in Babel. So that's how it became a Shormuad. But that's not a common occurrence. And you just said that, that uncommon occurrence we do not adjudicate in Babel. Oh, the case where the judges from Eretz Israel came to Babel and they are, are authorized, they have proper semicha, and they declared an ox to be Shormuad. And, um, and then it went and gored. And then that's the case that, uh, Rabbi was mentioning that then the, the Babylonian judges can, uh, decide to collect, uh, payment for that. So, but that also is very uncommon that the judges are going to come and then the Shormuad is uncommon and this whole case is uncommon. But, and they cannot be agents in an uncommon occurrence. Rather, when Rava said that the rabbi, that the judges, sages in Babel can adjudicate, he was not talking about Shor Mu'ad, because Shor Mu'ad, they cannot declare in Babel, and that's uncommon, that they, he should be declared in Israel or, or, or otherwise. But rather, we're talking about a case of an ox that causes damage by eating and trampling. Where they are mu'ad, a shor is, uh, there's no short, there's no difference but distinction between tam and mu'ad for damages of shen and regel. Person has to pay, the owner of the shor has to pay a full amount no matter what. So they don't have to become mu'ad, be declared mu'ad. They are already mu'ad. And, um, that is, is, is a common occurrence. It is compensation for damages. And that, those are the cases that 
Lava was talking about when he originally said that we do, that sages in Bavel um, um, can adjudicate and make someone pay for such damages. Okay, last section for today. Sa'ar keva'o b'shvud o b'masmed. Mishnah mentioned that. How do you, uh, what is what is sa'ad? If someone burns someone else with a, a hot a skewer or a hot nail, even if it's on a fingernail, well, it would not actually cause a bruise, um, uh, but just the feeling of pain itself that one, one would still have to pay. In other words, you have to pay. Even if it doesn't cause a bruise, you, you have to pay for the feeling of pain. And don't think that you only pay pay for pain when there is also a noticeable bruise. Now this opinion of the Mishnah, that one pays for pain even when there's no bruise, who is the author of this Mishnah? So the says it must be Ben Azai, because we have a Braita where the B says that a burn is mentioned first, whereas Ben Azai says a bruise is mentioned first. They're talking about this Pasuk here, that says, Now, obviously, it says burn first in the Pasuk, and then it's interrupted with wound for wound, and then it says bruise for bruise. So it literally says burn first, but they're not talking about which is, which is mentioned first. Everybody has the same Torah, but which one we're giving primacy to. And so here's how they explain it. What is this cryptic Machloket uh, about between the B and Ben Azai. The B says we look at Kiviya first. That's what he said here. Kiviya is mentioned first. We look at it first and we say, look, a burn sounds like just it's just a burn, just a feeling of a burn without any bruise. So, but then the pasuk goes on and adds a bruise for a bruise to tell you that when we said. When the pasuk said a burn, it's only if it also has a bruise, then you have to pay for the feeling of the burn. But if there's no bruise, then you don't pay for pain. So that's a B who says you do not pay for pain alone. Ben Azai says, no, if you had kibya alone, I would assume that meant you pay for the feeling of burning, if it only if it has a bruise. And that's why the Pasuk says separately, Chabura, a bruise, to say, oh, bruise is a separate thing. And uh, um, uh, to teach you that when it said burn, it means a burn only without a bruise. So you see, Ben Azai is the one that because he's focusing on Chabura as a standalone unit, and therefore Keviyah means uh, uh, a burn only. So he's the one, is, he, he'll be the author of our, our Mishnah because he's the one that says, that um, pain alone, even without a bruise, one does pay. Now, this explanation of the Braita um, seems to uh, not fit what they actually, their, their actual wording. Now, Papa says, no, from their, their uh, um, short words, um, cryptic words, it actually sounds like they are they interpreting the Pesukim the opposite of what you just said. The B said, his literal words were, says Kiviyah first. So that means we focus on Kiviyah. Uh, so the word burn, if we look at it by himself, it sounds like a burn with a wound. So Pasuk adds, also bruised to say, that, oh, uh, uh, bruise is a separate category. Now I know that when I said burn, that means even a burn as a separate category without a bruise. So actually the B is the one that says a burn alone, um, one has to pay for. So according to the Papa, the B is, the B Danasi is the author of this Mishnah. And Ben Azai, so we switch it around. Ben Azai, he said literally that we look at Habura uh, first. And separately, so if we had burn alone, then I would think that a, a, a burn alone without a bruise, one has to pay. That's what comes and adds habura to, to, to teach you that, oh, when I said burn, only a burn with a bruise. Um, that's when you have to pay. Otherwise not. And when these Tanaim said the techila, what we look at first, it means 
what we, um, what we focus on in our final understanding. So Ben Azayu says, Habura. That's, that's the main thing. It's not first in the Pasuk, but it means that's the main thing in the Pasuk because we figure out, oh, only if it has a Chabura, then you have to pay, otherwise not. So he's focusing on the word Chabura, and therefore he thinks only if it has a, um, um, if there is a bruise, whereas it be is the one that said even without a bruise because he's focusing on burn um, alone. Um, that's all one possibility of a derivation. Um, or maybe, in fact, everybody agrees regarding that machloket just now, that the word keviyah, whether there's a bruise or not a bruise, uh, um, is called a burn. And so according to that, um, uh, keviyah alone which is, is just referring to pain. Rather, the machloket between Yudanasi and Ben Azai is how you apply the uh, the the uh, methodological rule of klal ufirat when you have a general rule and then a, and then a particular example. So we say that is limited to only the particular example. But in this case, there's something else in between, right? If you remember the pasuk it says kivitach kaviyah. So that would be the general thing of any pain. And later it says chabura, which is a bruise, means only if it has a bruise. So if you read these back to back. If you would, if they were back to back, then certainly it would mean only if there's a bruise. But the problem is that says pesa tachapasa wound for wound in between. So what do we do with that item that's in between? That is the subject of the machloket. Um, so the bisa bar endani notobichlad ufrat. The bisa is something in between. So we're not going to consider this a klad ufrat, and therefore we um, it means that we look at the klad by itself, and that includes a burn. That includes pain only, even without a bruise, you have to pay. And so to be is the author of our Mishnah. Ben Azai says, even though this is separated and there's something interrupting, interrupting, we still consider treat it like a klal uperat. And uh, therefore, even though there's a generalization of kiviyah, that means any pain, but that's limited by the example of chabura, that means only a bruise. That explains Ben Azai. Lastly, the B, according to the B, why mention chabura? If you have to pay for pain, even if there's no bruise, then why does the pasuk mention the word chabura at all? And the case, the answer is for additional money. Um, if there's a, a burn and a bruise, so then you have to pay for compensation for the bruise and for the pain caused by the burn. So the chabura comes to, to comes to teach that yes, you'd have to pay for both. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.